As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson. I'll be joined by my co-host Matt Fortuna in a minute. But we've got a special guest today, former Notre Dame offensive lineman, All-American, and current CBS sports analyst Aaron Taylor. We talked about what you would expect. Notre Dame's offensive line, uh, is it the best in the country? Could it win the Joe Moore Award again? And just sort of some of the nature of Notre Dame's running game, where some of the credit goes, whether it's Jeff Quinn, Tommy Reese, the running backs. So we'll get to Aaron Taylor here. And then after that, we'll come back, talk a little bit about Louisville moving forward, preview the game on Saturday. But before we get into next week, let's get to our special guest, Aaron Taylor. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Delighted to have our next special guest on the Shamrock, former Notre Dame All-American, current TV analyst Aaron Taylor, and um, I don't know, is founder of the Joe Board Award too? Uh, is that over the top or like uh, the creative inspiration behind the Joe Moore Award? How would you like to be described in, in conjunction with that? I had a hand thing? in it. I had a hand in it. <laughs> I uh, co-founder, team captain, however you want to look at it, but uh, I just like to think of it as is being the guy that finally took on the burden of finding a way to create a Heisman for the fat guys. <laughs> well, it's uh, it, it's definitely a, a pretty popular talking point around Notre Dame uh, always, but particularly the season, the way that the uh, the offensive line has started. And you know, you have a, a more nuanced view of offensive line play than most. 
So when you watch Notre Dame's offensive line play, what do you see that maybe the rest of us don't? Uh, well, first of all, the lumps of clay are pretty damn good. The dudes look the part. They look like they're supposed to look to be able to perform at the level that's expected at Notre Dame and to, to be an elite unit. Um, watching a guy like Liam Eikenberg over the years who Harry Heastand, even going back to him when he was a freshman, was like, keep your eye on this kid. He's going to be special. And then you'd watch him play and you'd be like, oh, my gosh, he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Um, and it was so raw. But Harry, who's somebody that would watch him every day, you do pick up on a thing here, or a thing there, and you're able to project where he's become now. And when I'm watching him, his sets are so smooth. His pad level, his finish, his explosiveness, the way he throws his hands and pass protection, really confident in his punch. And uh, he, he's not one of those tackles that catches and grabs and traps, um, which all of us as offensive linemen are prone to do. But it's clear that what Harry started, Jeff Quinn has done an excellent job of continuing. And that's really one of the things that when we're evaluating – the most outstanding offensive line unit in college football for the Joe Moore award that I'll look at, man, is how well are these dudes using their hands and pass protection? I want to see physicality coming off the football, but watching their feet and watching their hands will really tell you all you need to know about the position. So from that standpoint, Notre Dame's looked as good as they have since probably McGlinchey and Q were there uh, with those offensive lines. And um, I'll be honest, man, where they're at, this game against Florida State looked a hell of a lot better than it did against Duke because I was nervous from what I saw after that first game. Aaron, can you give us a little bit of background about how the Joe Moore Award came together and what the in-season kind of protocol is like as far as the committee, evaluating tape? Do you guys meet virtually every week? How do you kind of evaluate this as a group because it's such a, a subjective kind of uh, award relative to, to everything else that's out there? Yeah, it's subjective in the sense that, you know, we all know what we're looking for and it's familiar. But when I established the criteria, I was like, how are we going to judge this thing? So I knew that that was too big of a burden for me to take on individually. So I reached out to 800 to 900 plus years, I think I added up once, of coaching and playing experience. And I asked them a simple question. What were the top three characteristics of the best line you either played on or saw? And like the answers came back all over the place, but we really distilled it down into toughness, effort, teamwork, consistency, technique, and finishing. Some form or variation of everybody's response encompassed some of those criteria in one way or another. And that's what we use as our basis and our measuring stick. But the only way to do that, Matt, is to watch tape. We can't watch games. We can't look at box scores. I can't see highlights to see the nuances that great offensive lines are built upon. So all of us, and there's about 12 of us on the voting committee, that each week we're all offensive linemen. We're all in television and media anyway. So it's, it's more work on top of what we already do. But we literally watch game film. And the way that we do it, is our regionalized guy. So Cole Kubelik, who's the lead sideline analyst for the uh, A-game on the SEC network, he does our SEC stuff. So him and Barrett Jones will get on a conference call and kind of give us a state of the union of what's going on in the SEC. Jeff Schwartz will do that for the Pac-12, and I'll have you know David Harding do that for the ACC and so on and so forth so that we get a real good snapshot around the country. Notre Dame alum Jerry DiNardo is our Big Ten guy. So – 
what ends up happening is we'll be watching tape and we'll end up sending clips to guys like, holy, you know, smokes, look at this dude here. And that's kind of when I introduced those guys to Quentin Nelson and, you know, just the mauler that he was. They were like, holy shit, look at this dude, man. He's like crushing people. And then we all go back to watch and kind of cross check and verify. But it's a labor of love. The the we, we just start watching ball and we watch tape and we watch all 130 teams. Um, you can see in f- no more than two series if you need to keep watching. It literally will look like it needs to look to entice you to keep watching or you'll move on. And we'll go back and we'll circle back. Navy's a team last year that started out, you know, not very good, but finished strong. So we caught that, thank God. Um, but it's just we do the best we can to watch as much tape as we can. But uh, there's no simple way to do what we do. I'm, I'm interested as you sort of evaluate Notre Dame in the context of what Brian Kelly said, where he, he described this as like, this is the best line he's had one through five. And I don't think anyone like I like Liam Meikenberg, but he's not Ronnie Stanley or Mike McGlinchey. No one is Quentin Nelson. So it's like this line to me, it's like the one and the two are probably not as good as the Joe Moore award winning line. But like when you get the three, four, and five being better, how rare is that, and like what does that do for a group overall? Well, an offensive line is only as strong as its weakest link, right? So the eye candy with Q and, and McGlinchey was beautiful, and you couldn't help but see it. And by extension, you know the rising tide of those two lifted the boats of of the other three at times. But I think Brian's spot on, man. Like it, across the board, the like the average GPA is, you know, B to B plus, if you will. So it was probably that or, or probably that with Q and Mike being A plus students carrying, you know, some other guys that were eligible, but maybe not playing as well, even though some of those guys are a couple years older and playing on this line. That's the difference, man. It's experience. It's uh physical ability it's finally being able to stay healthy it's getting some size at your left guard position it's having your left tackle go out and having your left guard slide out and another backup come in and play pretty damn serviceable from what i saw in the first half um you're 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 really only as good as your weakest link and i know that that's a cliche but it's often true so when you have solid players across the board you don't have to slide protect a certain direction to always protect a guy. You have more variation. You have more confidence. You have more trust and therefore more options. Um, certainly each player has its strength, but I think any coach would much rather have the average mean of the line be what it is this year than have one or two studs and, and other guys playing inconsistently. Aaron, what do you think is the biggest difference from last year to this year? I mean, it's the same group of characters. They, they struggled a lot in short yardage last year. And Jeff Quinn in particular, uh, the offensive line coach, came out under a lot of fire publicly. Uh, can you, is it fair for you to evaluate his job so far through three games from where you sit? And just what do you think are the biggest differences from the unit from last year to this year? I knew it was going to be a rough transition, Matt between Harry Heastan, who's, you know, the frickin' Michael Jordan of offensive line coaches to anybody, right? It's like there's only so many Aaron Rodgers that can come in and, and replace a Brett Favre and, and go, hey, shit, that wasn't that bad. Um, but I'd known Jeff and had seen him at practice, and we had talked all those times I was there, you know, to visit Harry and spend time in the O-line room. So I had a, a pretty good understanding of who he was, what his philosophy was attention to detail and those sort of things it hadn't materialized as much as i was hoping this early on 
but I'll say so. So that was up to now. But there was a noticeable jump that I saw between where they finished last year and where they started game two and certainly game three. And the week over week improvement from this unit is is almost exponential, honestly. And there's no other credit that can be given than to what Jeff Quinn's doing on a daily basis. Um, but, but these are the same cast of characters, but how is your writing now compared to when you graduated from college, right? Like experience is going to make you a better writer. So that's the same thing of football, especially in a sport where you get four years like that, that improvement needs to come rapidly. So um, I'm very, I don't want to say pleasantly surprised because I'm not surprised, but I am happy to see that this line is really playing nearer to its potential than I think I've seen in the last two or three years. I get a lot of questions from, from readers, fans, just about like essentially like where the credit goes for this. And I, I sort of start with like, you know, you had a line with 55 starts last year. Now it's a line with 110 starts. So that that's a good place to start with the players. But I, I'm curious where Tommy Reese fits into that as the play caller and, and maybe changing up some things how Notre Dame attacks the run game, whether it be more under center stuff and less sort of zone read mesh, um, you know, more outside zone, um, you know, less pin and pull. Like, how does how does the play caller fit into the success of the line? You think? And that's a great question. I'm glad you said it. I, I didn't know if you were gonna to bring him up, but that was gonna be my answer. I was like, you don't overlook the role that Tommy Reese has has played in all this and and brian i think alluded to it early on in some interview i heard probably an article one of you two knuckleheads wrote but uh it was really good about uh tommy's philosophy is based in running the football and and really when you think about it as much as brian you know has received credit for the quarterback position and being a throw offense being a midwest university with and being a blue blood in notre dame you got to run the damn ball and control the line of scrimmage and even in in the modern hurry up no huddle spread era it's still a line of scrimmage game of blocking and tackling and everybody's losing their you know stuff in the sec with what's going on with Ole miss and what they did to alabama and those sort of things but when you go back and look all the way back to 2000 in the bcs era the average defensive ranking of the national championship winner all those 20 years and including these last five, six, seven, or eight is 10, 10 or higher. So you can be Clemson and Alabama and get to the playoffs like Oklahoma and score a ton of points. But at the end of the day, you got to play good defense. That's a, 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 an aspect of the, the physicality that is still required to play this game. Now, we all remember what happened in 2012 with Notre Dame and Alabama where they lose that game at the line of scrimmage. So bringing that back to Notre Dame's offensive line and, and Tommy Reese and his philosophy, I think in, innately he understands that. And then that just opens up everything off of that. Like the, the six, seven, eight, nine man surfaces, meaning like bodies on the line of scrimmage around the football that, that they run formationally did an amazing job of flattening out Florida state, meaning all they did was run inside zone and counter, but they had so many bodies in there that one little crease gashed them and, and Kyron was off to the races. Like there was no depth. As soon as they penetrated the line of scrimmage, there was, was, you know, nothing but green grass. Then all of a sudden you get play action. And now the receiver group who's been young 
and not in sync with, you know, Ian Book, you're starting to get some downfield throws off of that run game. So they really do go hand in hand. Um, but you also have to play to your strengths. And when you look at Notre Dame's roster, clearly the strongest part of that roster is they're starting five up front. How responsible can a quarterback be for, for ensuring that all this goes so smoothly? I mean, it's very rare we see a third-year starter at Notre Dame the way we have with Ian Book. And even in the Joe Moore Award winning year in 2017, if you look at the two games where Notre Dame's offensive line and Notre Dame's offense as a whole uh, weren't great, was Georgia and in Miami where, where Brandon Wimbush obviously did not have his best performances and even got yanked in one of them. How much credit does Ian Book deserve just for – uh, ensuring a smooth transition and making sure everyone's on the same page here? Well, the, the quarterback's the most important person on the football team and, and certainly the offense. They touch the football every single play and just by default, the way the sport has evolved, um, it's a natural leadership position. So if you're not right there, just, um, I, what's the word I'm looking for? Just like from a dude standpoint and being a, a good dude, you're going to have problems. So I, I think what really allows Ian to be uh, and play the role and, and be so successful as the quarterback is he's a guy's guy. Like it, it's it's more important that the offense is right than for him to be right. He is one of many and knows his role and doesn't have a desire or an ego that warrants and necessitates that he needs to do X, Y, or Z. And as a dude, I can tell you, man, being in the huddle with a Rick Meyer and a Kevin McDougal, who were the same way and both went on to play in the NFL, Rick's career didn't go the way that, you know, he and, and many of us thought it would or even wanted. But Rick had all the talent in the world. But, like, he was the one hanging out with us at Studies and CJ's and, and the backer. And, like, he was a dude. And, and, I, I think people underestimate the importance of culture on a football team. And what Ian Brooke brings to, to the table is that he's part of the Notre Dame culture. And as an offensive lineman, you play your ass off for those dudes. And for him to be in a run-based offense, and even the year that they run it, where Chip Long was calling runs every other play, um, still doing your job and being happy with that endears him to the rest of the team. So I don't know how much directly he's responsible for allowing them to be successful, but a quarterback certainly can mess that up, hmm. and Ian's done anything but. All right, I, I kind of wanted to wrap up. We've given credit to everyone but the guys actually carrying the ball. Um, and I, I think that you know, you're around Notre Dame, we're around Notre Dame, and I, I think there was sort of maybe um, – not quite a, a thorough acknowledgement of like the talent level at running back last year. It was just sort of okay. Um, Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree seem like they're a hell of a lot better than just okay. So like how how have they sort of fit into what the offensive line is doing and you just sort of see like an uptick in raw talent there being a big part of why what's happening is happening? Well, it's nice to freaking get a running back to the second level that's got the Jets to get it to the goal line and, and do the rest, right? Like, I, I played with the Lee Beckton, bless his heart, and probably ran a 5-8, and that wasn't <laughs> Lee's game. Um, I, I think probably three of the five offensive linemen that year could beat him in a 40-yard dash. Now, Lee may dispute that, but he'd be lying. But you couldn't tackle his ass in a phone booth, man. And, and Lee was really good at making people miss, but we were getting clips at 18-20. We saw in the Florida State game what both of those guys can do. That extra gear, that top-end speed is phenomenal. The the vision, the patience, the contact balance, all that other stuff was out the window because the holes were damn five yards wide. 
uh, in a lot of those cases. But um, you're right. There is a noticeable, appreciable level of the running back quality that we're seeing at Notre Dame this year. And it, it's interesting, man. Like, that's been one of the head-scratching questions I've had. If you can't recruit knuckle-dragging D. Lyman to Notre Dame, that kind of makes sense academically. And, and no offense to D. Lyman that are listening, but y'all are the <laughs> dumbest position on the football field on average nationwide. Let's just acknowledge that. But running backs, that's not the case. They're, they're, they can be a dime a dozen, and we just hadn't had that consistent ability to have that quality of talent in the backfield that I think we're getting with a Kyron, uh, that I think we're getting with a Chris Tyree, who has the true freshmen's coming in, or freshman anyway, and, and performing the way that he is. That was some of the stuff that we started to see early on with the Jerome Bettis, who was you know the third or fourth of us true freshmen that got onto the field and started getting some time. So um, it plays a significant role. And it really is a, a scenario where I think it's kind of a perfect storm of sorts where you have a play caller who's committed to the run. You have an offensive line and an offensive line coach that's healthy and have been together two to three years. And you get high quality running backs with a quarterback that is humble enough to deal and distribute. Uh, you can make up for the fact that you don't have a lot of elite speed on the outside edge and still win ball games and score a ton of points. Uh, defensive linemen who are listening and, and may not like that take, that's uh, Aaron Taylor, CFP, not Pete Sampson, not Matt Fortuna. Uh, Aaron, before we let you go, uh, we all saw Liam Eikenberg's um, bruise, if you will, under his eye. Uh, what, what's kind of the, the best equivalent you or a teammate from your time at Notre Dame had uh, when you guys were in the trenches in South Bend? I don't know, man. There was a, like multiple dislocations and there was a compound dislocation and like you're back in the huddle and you look down and you're like, oh, oh my gosh, what's going on, trainer? And you like, you pull your finger and put it back in the joint. Um, that sort of stuff just happens, man. And like, you're so jacked up, like it looked bad. And, and you know, we've all gotten in fights and, and block punches with our eye sockets at times. Like it hurts, but in the thick of battle, like you don't really think about it. But after the game, you're like, oh yeah, ouch, that hurts like a son of a gun. But I think for him, it's the best of all possible worlds, man. Like you get to be who he is, which is a tough ass guy get hurt but not in a way that's going to prolong your keep you out of a, a additional games um unfortunately it's during covid so he's probably not running around campus and taking advantage of it milking it maybe as well as he could have but um <laughs> nonetheless i'm glad he's happy and going to be back out there in the next game awesome well aaron thanks for hopping us with the shamrock i can i can tell you that matt and i have not really blocked a lot of punches with our eye sockets so uh, good. Speak, good. speak for yourself Pete. This, this is sort of like a you're the mcglinchy um nelson of the 2017 offensive line and matt and i are like i don't know walk-ons from uh, a small catholic school in chicago we had some beasts that were uh, walk-ons from small Catholic schools. In, uh, <laughs> All right, well, Chicago. maybe I overstated Matt, Matt and I's stature. In maybe this from podcast. San Diego. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> All right, Aaron, thanks again for joining us uh, on the Shamrock and talking a little Notre Dame offensive line. Appreciate you. My pleasure, man. Keep up the great work that you guys do covering a sport that's the best on the planet and the school that is as well. Appreciate it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. 
And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. That was Aaron Taylor. Thanks to Aaron for joining us. Uh, made us sound a lot tougher than we actually are, which means he's a great guest. He also looks like us, which you cannot tell from a podcast, but that's been a theme in this show the last year and a half. Pete, your big takeaways from Aaron Taylor's uh, comments on Erdem? I mean, he's a super fun guy. I, I would have. <laughs> maybe he should be a regular try host with us. Um, I, you know, I thought it was interesting. Uh, the credit to Jeff Quinn, but also to Tommy Reese, and you know, I, I loved his answer in the beginning because that's really what I wanted to get into with him. Uh, I also, uh, frankly, would love to get into it more with them. It's just sort of like. What is Notre Dame's offensive line doing that we're not seeing because we didn't play offensive line? And I think the way he just sort of described Ian, Liam Meikenberg and how he evaluates offensive linemen, like what kind of punch you have. And I thought it was interesting where I think he basically said, like, you know if you need to keep watching this offensive line after two series, um, you know, whether they're worth a, worth a crap or not, which I, I think would be sort of interesting. I wonder how many series of the Duke game he watched. Um, because they started so poorly, but clearly Florida State and USF were intriguing enough for him to keep going. And, you know, it certainly feels like, I mean, I think these Joe Moore awards are, it's so subjective, but if you have some early momentum, I mean, you do the Heisman poll for us at The Athletic in the past, and it's it's hard to lose an early lead. Um, And I feel like Notre Dame's offensive line has enough buzz about it that it probably has that kind of an early lead. Well, it has big enough games coming up, at yeah. least against good enough defenses where it can validate all the early praise, particularly Pittsburgh next week with that defensive line and, of course, Clemson uh, in a couple of weeks, which is a game everyone's talking about. I also thought it was interesting to see how much credit, I guess, for lack of a better term, he gave to Ian Buck. And not that we didn't think quarterbacks and their communications or relationships with the five guys up front were big, weren't big, but... Uh, the way he talked about him is, you know, just another dude, one of the other guys out there. Um, you know, when you got a guy like that who doesn't want any of the credit, like you play your tail off for him. Um, I, I thought that was pretty telling as well. Yeah, that was that was interesting to me because you know, getting to know Book a little bit and people around him and know him, like he's not, you know, he's not Brady Quinn, he's not Jimmy Clausen, he's not Everett Golson, he's not Deshaun Kaiser. Like, I mean, we've seen sort of like. Um, superstar personalities at quarterback here, and he is not one of them. Which you know, maybe maybe that's why he relates well to to Tommy Reese, who was another one who wasn't really that way. And it it was it, it reminded me of something that Mike Golick tweeted at me right. over the weekend about um, you know I just put up Nuri's rushing stats and like hey sorry to the people who were concerned that Tommy Reese wasn't going to run the ball because. He threw it all the time in college as if he was the one that was calling those plays. But he was like, Golik's tweet was basically, look, that was that was never something that anyone should have been concerned about because Reese has said, like, if he could come back in his next life, he would be a pulling guard. Um, you know, he, he loves that part of the game. So, I, you know, it, it's been interesting to sort of see the narrative arc of Ian Book's career going from uh, sort of a, a rescue package uh, when Brandon Wimbush was really struggling to, wow, almost a revelation late in his junior year to can he be the damn game changer to quote Chip Long his senior year to now we're back to game manager again. Um, and I guess that's okay. Like I, I realize that is not a, a glamorous outcome for a quarterback, but 
you know, it's Brian Kelly often talks about how many games Book has won, and I realize that drives people nuts because it's like well, he, did, he would do that for Tommy Reese. Yeah, back exactly. In the day That's too. why it drives people nuts because it, it takes them back to Tommy <clears throat> Reese when you had Everett Golson sitting on the bench and you wanted to see Golson. Mm-hmm. You know, breaking news: Everett Golson's not on the bench. There's nobody behind Book that yeah. you could put in that is going to hold a candle to him. So it's, I think just. I think Ian Book may be appreciated quite a bit more next year than he is right now. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think that's usually the case, the way it goes, and that's the way it will go. I mean, not that there's any exact parallel between the quarterback room situation between then and now, but I always think of Tommy Reese's senior year, 2013, and especially in college, you know how it is. The older you are, the the, the more... Uh, old news you are, I guess, to, to your fan base. I mean, unless you're Trevor Lawrence, who I'm sure Clemson fans still find reasons to pick apart. Um, very rarely are you a multi or three or four year starting quarterback who just isn't beaten up by your fan base. It happened to Jake Fromm last year. It's happened here and there to Ian Book. It happens to everybody. Um, Tommy Reese, uh, his senior year in 2013, when he was starting again, uh, one, as you mentioned, well, he. Part of that tweet, I think, all said was he ruined with Chris Watt and Zach Martin. His best friends on that roster were offensive linemen and really good offensive linemen. So he knew those guys inside and out. And they gave up an absurdly low number of sacks eight. his senior year. And sacks. With absolutely no running threat from the quarterback, which is different from this year with Ian Buck. But, they barely had a running um, threat from the running backs. <laughs> so that, that says something. I, I mean... it. I couldn't tell you the technical aspect of it the way Aaron Taylor could, but it does say just how much communication and getting everyone on the same page matters when you're the quarterback uh, and you've got five guys up front blocking for you. Uh, and we all saw what happened that that year in the USC game when Tommy went down with a concussion, I think, and Andrew Hendricks, who had every physical tool you can imagine and who fans were clamoring for all year as Everett Colson was, was suspended – came in and I think led them to 30 yards in the entire half. Um, it was not They good. could barely snap the ball, right? Andrew Hendricks, friend of the pod, pod we love him. He'll be uh, operating on all of us someday, so we should be nice <laughs> to him. But Yeah, we um, should watch our mouths. Or, uh, <laughs> be switching the name of Andrew Hendricks. I just think that goes to show you how much more goes into quarterback than simply snapping the ball and handing it off or throwing it. I mean, you got to have all 10 guys in sync and – that's easier said than done, and I'm not sure any two have done it better at Notre Dame under Brian Kelly than the guy who's doing it for him now and the guy who's coaching him to do it around. Yeah, I have, we get Kelly on Thursdays, and I'm <coughs> curious about something that he said after the game Saturday night. Basically, that uh, you know they had a, he had a good conversation with Book during the week about you know trust yourself, take some deep shots, just let it rip. Um, it is interesting to me that. And start 26, you're having that conversation. Um, that seems like more of a start six talk to have between a coach and a quarterback. So I, I'm, I'm interested to have Kelly unpack that one a little bit more today. But um, I wonder if we're to the point now where, you know, evaluating Ian Book in the game changer mindset, like we should just be done with that. Like, is this a waste of all of our time to sort of look at Ian Book through that prism or that lens? Because if he has Florida State performances eight more times the rest of the season, Notre Dame's going ten and one at at worst, um, and they will have a 
puncher's chance against Clemson. And I think that, uh, you know, if you're Notre Dame, can you really ask for a lot more than that? No, I'm with you. And, you know, I, we'll see how deep down that well Brian Kelly wants to go. But I took that comment, as I have many of his, as he's just saying that. I mean, after the Virginia Tech game last year, <laughs> he said Ian Book had never led a two-minute drill I love talking practice. to Ian Book about that in the summer. Oh, that, the, that was the most candid I've ever seen Ian Book. I mean, <laughs> those like, are what the hell are you talking ever. about? Even his dad, I think, he said he had to, to talk to. Yeah. Like, I don't know what Brian's talking about. Um, I, I kind of put Kelly's comments Saturday into that same vein. Um, whether that's true or not, we'll see. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think, like you said, he'll be appreciated much more when he's gone. I think us included, a lot of us have tried to make him something he's not. Um, that's what we do when – you've been a starter for three years and we all have a lot of time on our hands to, to nitpick and evaluate. <laughs> uh, but I just think he's a really good football player. I mean, is he going to win the Heisman? Probably not. Although who knows if he outduels Trevor Lawrence and they go undefeated, maybe he will. Um, I, I think he's probably, do you think he's the best quarterback Brian Kelly's had starting quarterback? It's him or Kaiser. Yeah. That's a, I think that he is. Um, I think he's better than Kaiser. I, I realize Kaiser was drafted in the second round. You know, his pro career was brief. But uh, you think of the, the skill talent Deshaun Kaiser played with in 2015. Stanley, McGlinchey, Nelson, Martin, Elmer is your offensive line. You have C.J. Prosize, Josh Adams. Uh, Torian Folson got hurt in the first series. No big thing. And then you had Will Fuller, the best receiver that Brian Kelly has had, um, you know, with Michael Floyd on the outside with a very veteran uh, receiving core, like Amir Carlisle, Chris Brown, like those guys would be surefire, can't take off the field starters on this team. Uh, and they were role players on that team. So it's um, Kaiser just had so much more to work with than book does. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's why evaluating him is, is unfair if you just do it statistically. Um, and I think in some ways it, it makes the, how many games has he won, more impactful because Kaiser was sub 500 as a quarterback here. Like in terms of running the operation and winning games, he was pretty bad. Um, you know, they did not win because of him short of the Virginia game. Right. And I think at that point, it's just like throw the ball as far as you can and let Will Fuller go get it. Um, you know, so that's book is book has been the reason that they have won, whether it's Virginia Tech or Pittsburgh in eighteen or Northwestern in eighteen. Um, you know, he's had moments where he's been the guy, um, but you know, with this offensive line and this running game, I don't, this season may be short on those moments. And as I told someone very close to Ian Book over the summer when we were going back and forth about how he's viewed, I said, "Look, if Ian Book throws twenty touchdowns this season and twelve interceptions." Nobody is going to care if one of those touchdowns is in the final two minutes and it beats Clemson here. Nobody will care. Um, that will be viewed as a historic win and sort of a, a seminal moment uh, in the in Notre Dame football history. You know, similarly, does, does anyone know what Kevin McDougal's stats were from '93? No, nobody cares. Nobody. He beat Florida State. They, Anything they, else? Who cares? I don't. During uh, during the depths of quarantine, uh, NBC Sports was replaying old games. They played Notre Dame beating West Virginia for the title, and they showed Tony Rice's stats on the sideline. Yeah, <laughs> it was like seven for eleven or something. Yeah, who cares? I mean, it's just that's 
you know, as much as the how many games does he win is an annoying defense, I think sometimes as a reporter, like it's absolutely true. Uh, next year, you're not going to remember Ian Book's stat line from the Duke game, but you'll remember whether he beat Clemson or not. Well, I, I think that's college football in general. I just yeah. think I don't think stats resonate. Um, traditional stats resonate that deeply. I mean, I'm pretty sure Jalen Hurts had better numbers than Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield, and no one will remember them, and no one will remember him as well as they remember the other two because they won the Heisman and they were better players. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a foreign concept for us because rarely have we seen such consistency at this position for Notre Dame under Brian Kelly. I, I understand the angst in the sense of there's still a sense of, because of Ian Book's recruiting profile, I believe Washington State was the only other Power 5 school that offered him, which... It would be a great alternate history um, to, yeah. to see him under Michael Leach over there and to see the kind of numbers he would put up, uh, which also goes to show you that stats aren't exactly the same everywhere or, or valued the same everywhere. But um, because Brandon Wimbush was hyped endlessly by people publicly and privately within the Goog and, and didn't exactly live up to it, um, because this is a staff that outside of Kaiser has not really done anything with any – Four, even mildly recruited four-star quarterback of note in 11 years, there's that sense that they just want a game manager. And I think Ian Book's more than that. I, I don't know if I'd say a damn game changer, and I don't know if we'd want to get him out of character like that, but um, I, I, I think he's done as good as you can possibly hope for. I mean, no, let's face it, no one there thought he had this in him. If they did, he would have been starting a lot sooner yeah. than he was. I mean... That's that's the reality. Um, I was not high in Notre Dame at all going into 2018 because I was not that high in Brandon Wimbush based on what I saw at the end of 2017. And frankly, if the staff felt that same way, they would have been starting Ian Book sooner. They didn't. Um, it took a near loss to Ball State and Vanderbilt for them to pull the plug, and uh, it changed everything. It really did. I mean, I think that year was a little unique as far as Ian Book didn't have to do as much, and I think they had so many proven pieces on that offense that they needed a guy to – basically get them lined up right and get out of the way more than anything else at that point. But uh, no one thought this was the career arc coming for Ian Buck, and they're absolutely lying to you if they say that that was the case. Yeah. Well, why don't we spin ahead to this weekend and then get out of here? You know, Louisville is a, a game that I thought was very trappy in the summer, and, in fact, it turns out they're terrible. So, you know, that, that, that trap aspect <laughs> – Maybe this is exactly what they want you exactly. to think. They got you into a trap game. Like, there's never been a trap game that people identified widely as a trap game beforehand. It's only after the fact we're like, wait a minute. Um, Maybe. But, <laughs> but still, Louisville can't stop the run. Um, Mikhail Cunningham, the quarterback, is really beat up. Um, was he goes by Malik now. Malik, again. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> was peeling himself off the turf at Georgia Tech where they lost and just gave the ball away all over the place. And yet... Tutu Atwell, Javion Hawkins, um, the running back and sort of slot receiver, are unbelievably dynamic skilled players um, that I think should test Notre Dame. I don't read too much into Notre Dame giving up the quarterback run a lot last week um, to Jordan Travis at Florida State because a lot of a lot of those yards were sort of on third and fifteen, and he scrambled for thirteen. Um, Notre Dame will gladly allow that. So I. Uh, I'm not sure what to expect on Saturday other than Notre Dame's offensive line is the best unit on the field, and I have a hard time seeing how Louisville can live with that. So I, 
I mean, Louisville's been very disappointing. I mean, there's no way around it. I, I had them fourth in the ACC coming into the year behind Clemson, Notre Dame, North Carolina. They are one and three right now. Um, not to excuse them because this is their own doing, but they're second to last in the ACC right now in turnover margin. They had a 14-point lead Friday, last Friday at Georgia Tech and in, a, in the rain, fumbled away three times, and that completely changed the game. And Cunningham threw three picks against a very good Pittsburgh defense. And they still had the ball right at midfield with a chance to, to tie or win late in the game. So I think this team is much better than their record indicates. They haven't played it, uh, and maybe this makes it extra trappy, if you will, because they're kind of a sleeping giant in that regard. But uh, I think they're, they're, they're much better than they've played so far. Will they show up this week? They protect the football. I mean, I think it could be a watchable game. I mean, I don't think it's going to be Notre Dame just running it down their throats and doing whatever they want. I mean, Notre Dame's a 17-point favorite. The over-under 64-and-a-half. I think I've taken Notre Dame to cover every game so far. Uh, I'll take Louisville to cover this one. I mean, I don't, I, I'll go 31-17 Notre Dame. Um, I, I think Louisville plays one of its better games. I think they're so much better than what they've shown and – what they show as a team. I mean, the line opened at 14, so it's not like, you know, they're doing a whole lot of uh, uh, goodwill for themselves by, by playing it that close. But uh, I, I just don't think they're as bad as they've shown so far. Yeah, maybe they are better, but um, I it just doesn't strike me as a matchup that suits them very well. Um, you know, if, if Louisville, like Pittsburgh is the game where you're like, okay, well, they have a strength that sort of counters Notre Dame's strength. To me, there's there's just nothing about Louisville that matches up well with Notre Dame, uh, unless we're talking about Cunningham running the ball as a, from the quarterback position. So I, I'm after really preaching the under last week, and that the game went over by halftime. Uh, I think I'm going to stay away from uh, a very uh, authoritative or much conviction about my betting advice on this one. I but I just think Notre Dame is going to get in the 40s um, somewhat easily and. I, I, I think Notre Dame's defense will probably revert back to form where 17 points allowed is, is kind of a lot. Um, so, you know, I, I, I could see sort of a, a 41-17 type of game that um, is watchable, but not really that close. Kevin Austin over under 60 yards receiving. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to have to stay under until he does something, <laughs> until he has a catch. Um, then I will entertain the potential of an over um you know javon mckinley probably under 100 yards this week i don't think he's i was gonna go over 250 but yeah (laughs) i don't don't think i'm gonna ride the javon mckinley train uh in the passing game but you know kyron williams uh chris tyree sebo flemister i could see tremble getting way more involved than he was last week i think he only had one catch um you know certainly a huge part of the run game but not somebody that uh, i think is going to going to be shut out in the pass game in the way that Florida State did it and then Michael Mayer was excellent um so it's I don't know I, I think Notre Dame they may not stretch the field um but I think that they're gonna run it straight through Louisville's um the middle of their defense and I, I'm just not sure Louisville has the material to stop it straight through the teeth of that cardinal bird that somehow has teeth on its mascot <laughs> even though the birds don't have teeth I'm not going to be able to not think about that all Saturday now <laughs> It's a very important uh, storyline and a very important game, clearly. I'll go over Kevin Austin's 60 yards just to be opposite because he's going to do it eventually, right? Yeah. <laughs> eventually, you'll be right on that. Uh, yeah, and, I mean, and unlike last week, there's not sort of counter-programming uh, for Notre Dame-Louisville the way that there was for Miami-Clemson. So it's 
you know, I think I don't. Who does who does North Carolina have this weekend? They are at Florida State at night. Okay, I'm and I'm I'm interested in that. Not enough to not watch Georgia Alabama, but um, you know, just sort of as a well, you played Florida State one week, you play Florida State the next week. Who's better? Um, the sort of comparative scoreline game, but I I don't know. It's uh, Pittsburgh. I think is when the season gets interesting for Notre Dame, and then it takes another two weeks where it hits its crescendo. So this. I don't, this week feels very much like a part of the very slow build uh, that started out in Notre Dame's ACC slate. Clemson plays at Georgia Tech at noon. Um, uh, I'm not so watching that, that. Say that one could be 42 nothing by the time Notre Dame kicks off. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that, that is not must-see must television. But uh, we will be back Saturday evening. Um, Matt, from your couch. Me, from the press box. Um I'll try to fend off the... Nah, I'll be busy watching North Carolina okay. first. I had, you can do it on your own. I really had to fend off some maintenance crew workers last Saturday night because they wanted to get me the hell out of the, the booth that I was in recording. But uh, hopefully that we'll be able to make that happen on Saturday. And we'll have our, our post-game wrap-up after Notre Dame's emphatic win over Louisville. Um, I'll, I'll stay away from lines and over-unders, but I do think Notre Dame will probably win this one convincingly. And we, there won't be a whole lot of uh, criticism after the fact. And... Um, we will uh, we'll talk about it all Saturday Saturday evening, our next episode of the Shamrock Post Notre Dame Louisville. So until then, he's Matt Fortuna, I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for joining us.